You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Welcome to The House. Happy Father's Day to those dads who are with us and granddads. Why don't we just uh, say thank you and congratulate them and honor them in, in our midst. Here. Good to have you with us in, uh, in church today. want to welcome you to, to The House. If uh, you are here for the first time, you can grab a free coffee card and uh, get that at the info booth on your way out today and uh, use that a following week in the, in the coffee shop. There are a number of things that happen in the community and we encourage you to use the info booth as a place to uh, just find out a little bit more. Sometimes you'll hear a, an announcement or see a poster or maybe something on social media and you want to know a little bit more about that. That's a great place to find out just a few things that uh, are happening in the community to advise you on. One is we're doing a Young Professionals Affinity Group on Friday, June 21st. This is an RSVP event, so you can find out a little bit more info at the, at the info booth or uh, online and maybe respond. And uh, it's food, barbecue, hanging out Friday night, certainly a good time. And uh, you're wondering, well, who's the Young Professionals? They're the people who would be maybe not necessarily in that young adult, feel like they've maybe kind of moved on from that, but not in that 40 plus. So could be a mix of singles, marrieds, parents, uh, maybe in school, maybe working, just kind of that, that in-between age range. And uh, that's what we're calling our young, young uh, professionals. And uh, you'd be more than happy to participate with that affinity group and get to know some other people. Uh, there would be a good barbecue and just kind of chill and hanging out. Uh, on uh, Also, f- uh, Saturday, June 22nd, is the last uh, men's network breakfast for the year, and uh, we'll be resuming that again sometime in the fall, but uh, this will be the last one coming up for, uh, for our men. I uh, just want to give you an update on Pastor Ryan. Some of you may have heard that uh, Pastor Ryan has been uh, put out of commission uh, due to a concussion that he sustained, and I just kind of want to give you an update. Ryan is suffering from uh, post-concussion syndrome. And uh, he is taking the entire month off uh, to kind of as a short-term disability to just kind of get recovered and healed up. Uh, he was uh, doing a mountain bike run, extreme mountain biking. Ryan's very active and uh, kind of was dumb skateboarding and snowboarding as a kid. Got some concussions as he was pretty adventurous. And as we know, sometimes you get concussions uh, subsequent that uh, they can do a little bit more damage. And so he went over the handlebars on his uh, downhill mountain bike. Uh, uh, in early May and uh, received a, a concussion and actually things seemed like maybe he was okay it was, uh, and they did a family trip uh, away, had, had his actual, took to his holidays, did three week holidays and was fine and then when he got back to work just being on the computer and the screens and devices and thinking and really you know kind of engaging the brain uh, it had some really bad you know kind of symptoms and, uh, and he just was unable to, uh, to work and to be around and so it's just to advise you and let you know, and we want to give him space. Sometimes in social media and stuff and in texting and emailing, and you're like, oh, you know, you want to know right away. And so we want to just, he's got total freedom to just, you know, recover, be at home. It's just, there's no other kind of, but just time uh, to get better and to give him some space. And so we're going to reassess and see how he's doing when we get into July. For the first um, expect that when he comes back, uh, you know, part-time, some scaled back, and, uh, and then kind of growing back into, into his role. And so I thought it would be good for us to pray for Ryan today as a community. And, uh, you know, as our associate pastor and Sarah, as our kids ministry uh, director and, uh, and their little guy Jude, and we want to just uh, pray for them and cover them in prayer. And I thought, you know, if we're going to pray for Ryan and pray for healing, maybe we should just take a moment and, um, and we'll pray for anyone else this morning that may have 
a physical affliction, maybe needs healing in their body, maybe is intercession for someone else, but maybe just even you yourself, there's, there's something that you need the Lord to heal. And so we're going to pray, and even during announcements, so you go home today and say, how was church today? You say, man, it was like freaking hot in church. Uh, it was like 80 some degrees in the building. But was the Lord ever moving? People even got healed during announcements, okay? And so we can, the, the Lord is, uh, is able to hear our prayers. He's with us. He's present with us. There's promises in Scripture we hold on to. So as we pray over Ryan and pray for healing, um, perhaps you're here today and you hold your hand up over the, uh, just during the prayer. So why don't we bow our heads? Let's just pray. And if you need healing in your body, let's raise a hand. Say, Jesus, we in this moment lift up those in our community in this room right now that have a hand raised that would say they need healing in their bodies. There's a physical affliction. There's something not right, whether it's in bones, joints, whether it's uh, in the bloodstream or a diagnosis or chronic illness or fatigue or insomnia and all these things, Jesus, we speak against those things having a place in our body. We ask for healing and we ask Jesus that you would come and be present with your healing, your healing presence and freedom that comes from you that there would be everything made new, everything put in place, everything restored, everything healed up and strengthened the way it should be. And um, as a community this morning, we lift up Pastor Ryan to you. We ask, Lord, that you would heal his, his mind, heal his brain where there's swelling and trauma. Lord, we pray that you would take away the sense of fatigue, the sense of frustration, Maybe even fear and doubt and worry so easily creeps in. Jesus, we pray against the advancement of those things. We ask that you would heal him, you'd restore him, he would have great clarity and focus, and he would be able to just re-engage in his mind and uh, be able to get back to work, be able to get back to being a parent and, and a husband. And Jesus, we pray for a complete healing and work in his body. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you for, uh, for being a part of that, and uh, we know that the Lord is faithful, and so just be in, uh, be in prayers for Pastor Ryan, and just give him some space, but it's also good, you know, I don't think he's opposed to the odd kind of text message and things, and a um, few of us are trying to help out, whether it's helping him get his grass cut or whatever, and maybe you want to help participate with some of those things, uh, we'd be happy to connect you with that. Our series on Colossians. We're in, uh, in Colossians chapter two today and calling this message, Putting on the New by Putting Down Roots. And this idea of uh, our series in Colossians being called Putting on the New is really taken from this key verse in Colossians 3.12. It says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul tells us to take all the good things about Jesus, all the things we admire about Jesus, all, the, all this good stuff, his love, his compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience, take all this, this good stuff about Jesus. And Paul says, put it on, clothe yourself in it. Put on the things of Jesus like you would put on clothing. And the imagery of clothing is quite significant in Scripture. And it's especially meaningful to the first century citizens of the Roman Empire who Paul is writing to in the city of Colossus. 
Now, the city of Colossus was an eclectic mix of cultures, and as a result, they, had, they had, uh, held on to and formed a diverse uh, belief system with multiple different kind of uh, bits and pieces from different beliefs and, and groups and cultures and backgrounds. And um, Gnosticism and paganism were two of the most prominent religious influences. But Coloss also housed a large temple dedicated to angelic worship. Not so much angels as we would maybe understand angels, but by angelic worship, it was really to say they're spiritual beings. They're not deity, but they're spiritual beings who have a place or hold a place of authority in the spiritual realm. And they would, uh, they would worship these beings. And so the citizens of Coloss are influenced by all of these things, and they took little bits and pieces of different beliefs and fashioned them into their own individual culture today. Ask people what they believe about the afterlife or about God or about their spiritual, you know, what's, what's their, how do they find peace spiritually? Very rarely will you get an answer that fits the exact kind of textbook definitions according to the way one of the world religions would spell it out. Usually, we grab bits and pieces, that's what people do, of different things, different ideas, and they form it together, they fashion it together into their own kind of understanding and their own belief. And um, when the Colossian church, it was made up of new converts. It's a newer church, it's a younger church. It's made up of converts who grew up in this culture, and they spent their whole lives mixing together different expressions of spirituality. And when they embrace Christianity, they, they fully embrace Jesus. They don't have a problem with Jesus. But they mix Jesus in with all of their other kind of beliefs and all their other kind of constructs of, of spirituality. And this is what Paul speaks to the Colossian church about. The process of blending different beliefs, convictions, and worldviews into one, uh, one construct is known as syncretism. And syncretism is often very subtle, and it's something that can creep into our faith. It can even creep into our faith as believers today. And inevitably, syncretism ends up watering down one's core beliefs. We end up kind of reshaping and realigning and changing the core belief we're trying to build our life on in order to accommodate and fit in other beliefs. And this is what was happening with the Christian church in Colossus. If you have a square peg and a round hole, you either have to cut the hole out differently to fit the peg in, or you have to whittle down and reshape and reduce the peg to something less than it was in order to fit into the hole. And Paul warns us about reducing Jesus to something less than he is, just so he fits into our belief paradigm. He reminds us the importance of holding on to a high picture of Jesus. And we hold on to all of Jesus and who he is. And in fact, Paul says again and again in Colossians, Jesus is the fullness of God. We hold on to a high picture of Jesus. We embrace who Jesus is. We build our life on that. Then we filter all the other stuff, we, all the, the different beliefs, convictions, worldviews, how we shape our life, how we make decisions, what our values are, what our priorities are. All of those things become subject and they're fit into our life. They're shaped by Jesus. He's the big rock that gets in first. That's the way Paul says it should be. Don't, don't 
change, don't reduce, don't, don't drop things off of who Jesus is and make him a small Jesus in order for him to fit into your construct. Do the opposite. Shape your construct around who Jesus is. And so how do we ensure we hold to a high view of who Jesus is? And this is the point of what Colossians is about. And Paul says it in Colossians 2, 6, 7. He says this, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. So he's telling the Colossians, just as you've now, you, 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 you embraced Jesus, you took Jesus into your life, you took Jesus into your heart, you, you believe in Jesus, just as you've done that, as you've accepted him as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faithfulness will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I really like the imagery that Paul gives us here in the word roots in this passage. In fact, as I was meditating and thinking on this Colossians 2, that's the one kind of word that really jumped out, that really resonated, that really kind of grabbed my, my interest and piqued my interest this week. Let your roots grow down into Jesus. Roots speak about being anchored, anchored in Jesus. We live in wine country with vineyards all around us. And grape vines can easily grow roots that go down into the soil over 20 feet. Over 20 feet, the roots shoot down and grow in, and they begin to, to grab hold, and, and, and they anchor themselves in. The, the roots, when they're, when they're new, when they're first growing out, are small, and they work themselves through tight-packed rocks and, and, and formations in the ground, sometimes going right into, if it's a, if it's a surface like, like limestone and there's cracks, they'll grow right down into the cracks, and the roots grow, and they fill into all these tight packed places and they begin to take hold and then the roots begin to grow and they begin to fill out and they begin to expand and they press and they, they, they fill up the space, they fill up the area they're in and they become so tight, so gripped in, so packed. You cannot, you can literally, you cannot go to a vine. You cannot go to a grapevine and grab it by the base at the trunk and just pull it out like you can a tomato plant in the garden. It won't come. Its roots are, it's virtually impossible to pull it out. It has become completely anchored in the ground. And Paul's idea of being rooted in Jesus speaks of being anchored in him, speaks about getting in, grabbing on, and not letting go. Another is that roots speaks about drawing life from Jesus. Drawing the, 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 the essence of who Jesus is. The finest wines in the world. Now you're thinking, why is the guy talking about wine all morning? And it's because I'm that cool, that's why. Um, the finest wines in the world come from vineyards that are purposely stressed. The vineyard managers restrict giving the vines water and nutrients on the surface. They stress the vine so their roots go down deep to find natural sources of nutrients and water. The root systems grow, in fact, much larger, much stronger, much bigger than the actual vine itself. 
And the deeper and stronger the roots are, the more the wine represents its origins of place. The terminology is terroir, the soil, the essence of where it's growing. The terroir of unique soil types infuses distinct flavor profiles into the grapes. The grapes draw the essence of their source out of the soil, out of the earth, out of their place, out of where they're planted. If the soil has got lots of flint or minerals or there's different herbs and different things there, the, the, the wine, the, the, it will, it'll reflect that. The, the roots go down and they draw up, they suck up the essence of the terroir. And when we put our roots down into Jesus, our life reproduces his essence. I wrote the best sentence that you should tweet or put on Instagram or bury in your heart. When Jesus is the terroir of our souls, our lives will reflect his glory in us. When Jesus is the terroir of our souls, when our lives are planted, when our roots go down into who he is, when he's our source, when he's what we draw up, he's what is feeding us, he's what's anchoring us, what happens is we draw up the essence of who he is and it shows up in the fruit of our lives. We have the fruit of the spirit which shows up in our lives to minister to other people. The essence of who Jesus is shows up in our life. Pick whatever it is that you admire about Jesus. Paul says his compassion, his kindness, humility, gentleness, his patience. Well, guess what? When you're anchored in him, when you're drawing up, when your roots are in him, that's what ends up showing up in your life. Maybe it's his courage, his faith, his boldness, his fierceness, the pursuit of justice, looking out for those who have no help, who have no one to look out for themselves. Jesus shows up, that characteristic, that part of Jesus, who Jesus is that you admire, that's what you draw up. You become the essence of who Jesus is when your lives go down into him. Speak about, he grows up in of our lives. Trees in our yard. Great shade trees, uh, massive. We, we, we moved into our house in 05. It's now 2019, so that's a long haul. And, um, and we see these, um, these trees have grown, and they're right in our, in our lawn. The roots, they don't go down very deep. And in fact, as the, uh, as, as the trees have grown, the roots have become close to, right close to the surface because that's where their source of water is. And they're now kind of popping up out of the ground and, and you can see them in our yard throughout as the, as the tree grows. Shallow roots are dependent on the conditions of what happens on the surface. The bigger the tree grows, the more dependent it becomes on my sprinkler system and on the weather. Roots that go down deep are much less affected by the changing conditions above the soil because they draw their water from a consistent 
sustainable source. It doesn't matter if it's dry and sunny and 35 degrees for a week or if it's cold and tan and wet and cloudy. None of that makes a difference when the roots go down deep. The deeper the roots are, the less it matters what the changing conditions above the ground are. Whether your life is full of sunshine or a dry desert or you're swamped with clouds and storms, the source of our life is in Jesus, not in our circumstances. And we are encouraged to put our roots in Jesus. We don't put our roots in our job. We don't put our roots in our finances. We don't put our roots in the size of our retirement nest egg. We don't put our roots and, and draw from our identity or in, in, in the work and the success. All the different tools and get our identity in that stuff. That's all the circumstantial things of life. That's all the stuff at the surface. And we're not to be grounding our life on the changing conditions of what's happening on the surface. We're down deep into, because he's constant, he's always with you, he's always faithful, and he doesn't change. And when you find him and you connect to him, he sustains you and he provides for you. Now, Paul's entire analogy of putting our roots into Jesus is so we can, what he says, clothe ourselves in Christ. We draw upon his life because as our roots go down and we draw up his essence, we emulate who he is. We reproduce who he is in our life. I mentioned in the beginning of my talk that um, the, the important symbolism of clothing when it comes to scripture and when it comes to the Roman Empire in the first century. Well, Colossus is a part of the Roman Empire and Roman culture is steeped in the importance of social, political, and economic recognition. Everyone in the Roman Empire, everyone in culture, everyone in society had a label, was identified. They were, everybody knew who they were, where they fit in, what their net worth was or what their job was or all those kinds of things, what their success was, their status was. And the primary way that they did that is in how people were dressed. Jews were identified as a distinct ethno-religious group by their clothing. They wore different types of ceremonial clothing and it reflected who they were, identified who they were, and they were instantly known and that, that, that's who you were. It was identified by your clothing. Greeks had distinct sashes and pins and clasps that identified their status and their significance. The Romans placed more influence in their clothing than all other cultures. In fact, you were not allowed to wear a toga unless you were a citizen of Rome. And Roman citizens wore distinct togas to communicate things like age, profession, and social rank. Politicians wore an especially bright white toga called the candida. This is where we get the word candidate from. It seems a little ironic that they would wear a bright white candida, but that's what they did. That's how they were identified. Dignitaries had a red band to indicate their special status. People would get out of the way. They would let them come to the front of the line. They would clear a space in the market. They were dignitaries. They had red. They got special privileges. The emperor and those in his royal court had purple on their togas. If you were 
mourning the loss of a loved one, you wore a black toga. You were excused from work, and others would bring you food and help look after you. That's where we get the tradition this, to this, this day. Prostitutes wore a distinct matching headdress and, and, and clothing to identify them differently than regular women. And in the first century Rome, the essence of your life was identified by your toga, by your clothing. It's what let other people know who you were, what you were about. So with this in mind, let me read Colossians 2 again. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Clothe yourselves in the things of Christ. Put on the very essence of Jesus by putting your roots down into him. Clothing yourself in Jesus is literally putting on your new identity in Jesus. You are making a declaration. You are identifying yourself just as all of their clothing would identify who they were, what their life was about, what their essence was about, what they believed, what their status was. Paul says, you become clothed in Christ, the things of who Jesus is. So when people see you, they identify Jesus in you. You connect to Jesus. Now, I want to bring this idea of clothing kind of full circle and the importance of where it is in Colossians. In Colossians 2, 13, 15, Paul says, you were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them, shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I'm gonna have Karen come and we're gonna get ready to close and um, we, we put on the new life in Jesus. We, we clothe ourselves in Christ because he's forgiven us, because we're saying I'm new, I'm a new creation. The old way of life is gone, the new has come. This is a, a fundamental New Testament Jesus covenant idea. The old is gone, it's in the past, the old flesh, the old sinful nature, the old ways, the old life, the old habits, the old bondages, they're gone. And now there's new life in Jesus. The new has come. We don't have to continue in the old ways. Those things no longer have authority over us. In fact, the scripture here, Paul says, Jesus has disarmed them. Those lying spirits, those rulers, these are things that try to set themselves up as authority in our life. Spiritual forces that don't want to let us go, that want to hold us, that want to ensnare us, that want to put us in bondage, that want to take away our freedom, that want to tell us how to live, that want to lie to us and say, Jesus can't forgive you, Jesus doesn't love you, Jesus isn't real. And they try to set themselves up 
in a place of authority to speak over our life? What are the things that are still holding a place of authority in your life? What is still fighting to gain authority over you? Think about a police officer standing in a busy intersection, directing traffic. The police officer is not Iron Man. When he puts up his hand to tell the cars to stop, he has no physical ability within him to make the car stop. People stop because they see the uniform. They see the known, the motorcycle helmet and the sunglasses and the shiny badge and the gun and he's instantly known as a, a police officer. And people submit to that authority because of what he's wearing, because of his identity. The clothing, the uniform gives him power and authority over the drivers. And so I ask, what things are still trying to hold a place of authority in your life? What things are putting on a uniform of authority and trying to control and dictate and tell you who you can be in Christ and what your life is about and what you believe and what you can't get free from and all those things? Well, this is where it gets really, really cool for me. Is the Greek word used for disarmed. When it says, Jesus, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. It says he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It's not like Jesus came and he took away the gun or he took away the sword or, you know, metaphorically. That's not that kind of a disarm. In fact, it is better translated, the literal translation from the Greek where, where we see the word disarm in scripture is to say stripped off of. Jesus stripped the spiritual rulers and authorities of their clothing. Jesus went to those lying sons of spirit, he shamed them and he stripped them and he exposed them and he publicly shamed them. Jesus literally comes up to the spiritual forces that would say that we're not forgiven and Jesus isn't real and he doesn't love us and, and, and he, he, he's not who he is and all those things. And, and what he does, Jesus literally goes up to them and he grabs them and he just rips off their clothes. He rips off their uniform. He yanks it off. The scriptures literally say he strips it off and he says he exposes them. He makes them bare. He uncovers them. And what it's doing is it's saying he's taking away their authority over you. He stripped off the uniforms of the spiritual forces that are trying to gain authority over our lives. And not only does Jesus strip off the uniform of authority on the enemy. But he gives us a uniform of authority over them, which is our new identity in Jesus. This is why Paul says, put on Jesus, put on the new self, clothe yourself in Jesus, because it's a declaration that I'm a new person.
And that thing, that spirit, that lie, that belief, that force, that influence, that habit, that desire, that sinful nature, that lust, those things do not control me anymore. They have no authority over me. In fact, I have the authority of Christ on me. That thing has been stripped naked and it's ashamed and it's to be sent away. Put on Jesus. Clothe yourself in Christ. His goodness, his mercy, his compassion, the essence of who he is. Put the roots down. Draw up who he is. Put on who he is and overcome the lies of the enemy. So in this moment, I know it's super, super hot and you've been listening amazing. Let's just create some space. We're gonna just pray. I invite you to bow your heads. Let's just think about our lives. Let's just create some space in this moment for the Holy Spirit to minister to us and ask the Holy Spirit what lies, what beliefs, what voices from the enemy have been trying to set themselves up in authority over my life? What's getting a hold of me and not letting go? What lie am I believing? Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show us. In this moment, open our hearts up to hear from you about what we have been letting set itself up as an authority over our life. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to walk in the new identity and the new authority of who you are. Help us not to look at these things and cower thinking that they are in authority. Help us to see and understand that you have stripped off that uniform. You have stripped off that authority in them. Their counterfeit lies, their counterfeit arguments, their counterfeit beliefs. And Jesus, help us to put on our new identity in you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be free from lusts of the flesh, free from the temptations, free from pornography, which is devastating our souls. As your people, Lord, help us to walk free from that lying spirit of pornography that would try to control our lives. Set us free from self-reliance. Set us free from the lusts of the flesh and values and choices about greed and expand our heart for others. Jesus, I pray that as a community of people, 
we would let our roots go down into you. And where roots in our lives have been growing up to the surface where it's easy to get this quick fix or this thing, Jesus, we pray that you would help us to put our roots down into you and that you would put us in a place where we're anchored, where we're drawing from you, where we're sustainable in you, where we are drawing up the essence of who you are to reproduce in our life. And whatever those things are that we have been letting have authority or a place of authority in our life, Jesus, help us to walk in the newness of Christ, which understands not only did you strip them of that uniform, but you gave us a new uniform of authority. You gave us a newness. Help us to put it on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.